All right, you know where we're at. We're in Jude, and uh, there's only one chapter, so we got that down. So, um, I call today's sermon condemned. A lot of us don't use that word much anymore. We may think of a building that's been condemned or that may come to, but that is the stance we're in if we don't know Christ, is that we're condemned. And a lot of time in our society today, we don't want to go there. Everybody's okay. Well, we're not okay. We are not okay without Christ, and most of you know that. And, and we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper, and the various things that we see here today, and it's even this section of Scripture, and I love how God works. I didn't have a plan to fit stuff in the Lord's Supper, but it talks about in the section of Scripture of leaders that were abusing the Lord's Supper, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But, you know, the Lord's Supper is a time to reflect. And Jesus was condemned for us. He was not guilty. He took our sin upon him. He endured the suffering and everything, died, buried, and risen from the dead so that we can have victory. And so we can use this as a time to reflect on the love of Christ. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, that who shall ever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And a lot of times, whether you're quoting uh uh, different song lyrics or anything, we struggle to know what real love is, to define love, and we don't need to struggle to do that. The world keeps putting false definitions of love out when God, through His Son, has given us the ultimate definition. But in society, we can choose, well, they're not condemned, and we don't need to go around saying people are condemned. We need to let them know their situation and where we were, but we struggle to understand what God says about that, to know it to apply it to our lives and to share it with others. And we can choose to lead others away from the love of God, and that leads them into condemnation, or to lead them to the love of God, which leads them to eternal fellowship with Him. Your action step today is lead others to the love of Christ. Well, that's simple. That's what we're supposed to do, Pastor. Yeah. But I think it gets a little bit difficult when we get into things that God says He's definitely against and He's clear on his word. We need to lead others to the love of Christ, and your points will be about the word love. And I encourage you, this is why Wednesday nights are important. Come at 7 or a little bit earlier. We have uh, prayer time at 6.30, and then the youth have something going on, the children have something going on, the adults. And the adults, we go over the section of Scripture. And and I think we're finding out that Jude, whether it's two uh, verses or not, there's a lot of stuff packed in here. And here we're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six verses, and man, they're packed. So we're going to fly over this today, but, you know, we kind of unpackage it, you know, on Wednesday night. So I encourage you to come and be a part of that. I encourage you to look at that. Let's look at verse 11. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, and as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept away by winds, fruitless tree in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of the utter darkness has been reserved. And it is also about these that Enoch the seventh uh, from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. They execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly for all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. 
These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Again, we know that Jude was talking about false teachers that had entered the church. And now he's going to give descriptions on what they're like and, and I'm going to give illustrations. And some descriptions are from the Old Testament that the Jewish Christians that would be familiar with that we'll kind of get familiar with. And then we see natural uh, descriptions that he gives of what these teachers are like and what these people are like that are false. First of all, let's look at the, uh, we see verse 11, woe to them. For they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perish in Korzebel. So he's saying this is this word woe. He's like this is this is a grieving thing. This is not good. They are walking in this. This is their life. And so he brings up Cain. A lot of us are familiar with Cain, but this is the first murder, and we see in the Bible in Genesis four verses five and eight. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and, he, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. This is what Jude is talking about here. We see God saying, Give me your best. And Cain was giving him his second best. And so Cain was jealous that Abel, his offering was honored because he gave the first fruits to God, which God calls us to do that. And that's why we, it's not just financially, you know, we have the offering plates that are placed here that was part of our worship, but also in our talents and everything that we seek first the kingdom of God. And so this first example, these false teachers, they're walking in the way of Cain. And so what, what is that way? It, it's a hateful way. It's a murderous way. It's a jealous way. It's an angry way. We don't have to kill people, but God says if we hate people, we murder them in our heart. We're jealous of the things that they have. And so these false teachers and false Christians can follow the way of Cain and smile those crocodile teeth or have those crocodile tears and have that fake smile, but inside, hatefulness. We all have to watch this, being two-faced and those kind of things. But these people were in the church and that was who they were. And so they're self-centered in their character. They're consumed by their self-love. And they want their way over God. Then he mentions another example, the way of Balaam. And some of us are familiar with Balaam's donkey that spoke and that saw the angel of the Lord in the pathway and went and go. And Balaam, Balaam was doing what he was doing. He was going to curse Israel. And God told him not to. And you can go further into this, but... He was doing it all for the sake of money. And so then you've got leaders that, you know, it's good to take care of your family. It's good to be aware of what your family needs. It's a very biblical thing. Uh, when we went through the ordination, the order, uh, I, my, my first relationship was between God and I. Everything needs to come out of that. And then second is my family and then others. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but you're not my boss. And, and, I, and I have to be a servant, and I want to be a servant. But that is the order of priority. God first, then my family, then others. But we're talking about the fact, and I know as ministers, we're just rolling it. We're rich. I'm waiting for my Cadillac, my diamond rings, all the bling, all that kind of stuff, whatever, you know. But there is stuff we could just do for money. We could kiss up to people. We could say the right things, be around the right people. And Balaam 
was using his office for financial means and gain. I'm thankful that I'm able to do what I do, but that's biblical. But even if I wasn't able to do it in a full-time capacity in the sense of, of, of you guys taking care of us, that call does not change in my life. But Balaam was doing it for reward. I'll do this for you if you give me this. What we need to do in the motivation is I'm called by God, and this is why I do this. And so he was going to curse Israel, God's people, for money. And so that's obviously what Jude is talking to these Jewish Christians is like, you know, these leaders that just do stuff for the job, that just do stuff to gain money, that don't include the scripture they need to because that might cause people that give money to leave the church. Really, I want to help you out. God doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, He wants you to give to be a part of his kingdom, but he doesn't need your money. And so... It would be easy to see what Balaam was doing here. I've got to do this to gain this, and so therefore I will not preach the whole word of God. And so Balaam, his error was deceit and making money and not taking care of people. So we see that this is another example here. Then, And this is all in just the verse 11. Then you have the way of Korah. And this was rebellion. And you see it in number 16, verses 1 through 3. And and. You see, they were rebelling against uh, Moses and, and Aaron. And, you know, again, we talked about the spies, and they brought back a bad report. And then, and then hey, let's get up against Moses. He's not doing a good job and all this kind of stuff. And, and they weren't submitting to God's authority through Moses and Aaron. And this is the people that we see in a church that are prideful that they don't submit to Christ's authority. And so, therefore, they face punishment. The ground opened up and swallowed Korah and everybody that was rebelling. You say, well, is that going to happen now? Hope not. But these leaders rebel against God's authority. That's a consistent thing we've seen in Jude, that they don't respect, they don't recognize Christ as God. They don't follow him as Lord. So therefore, they're rebelling. And that can be any of us. When we see God clearly telling us to do something, and we may not shout out no, but in our actions we don't do it, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself, then we're right here in the rebellion of Korah. So these are leaders saying, that's too hard in God's word. I better not go there. Um, yes, they're in our church, and I know they're outwardly doing that sin, and I know they're leading, but I can't deal with that because it might upset the apple cart. We can't do that. Your children, your grandchildren deserve to have the whole word of God and to know the truth and especially in these times. And so these were people in the church then. These are people in the church now that are saying no to God's authority. So your first feeling, if you're going to lead others to the love of Christ, we need to learn uh, from their bad decisions. He gives three examples of bad decision. The hateful, the deceitful, and the rebellious. And so we need to understand that. We need to learn. But But that's not... Uh, the only thing that leads to condemnation. Now we're going to see five examples from nature. And you look at verse 12. They are hidden wreaths at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds along by wind, uh, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Okay, so we're, we're, we're doing the Lord's Supper today, and those were the love feasts. I don't 
feel comfortable calling it a love feast, but that's what they called it, okay? Because especially, I'm sure, in the 60s, if you called it a love feast, it was kind of weird. But anyway, but, and you know, we, we need to do this sometime. But in their love feast, they, they observed the Lord's Supper, and what we need to understand here, we have the bread that represents his body that was broken for us. We have the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. And we're to do this in remembrance of the sacrifice that he gave. So they, they would do this. This is the last thing that Jesus instituted before he went to the cross. But they would also have, this is why it's so Baptist, they'd have a fellowship meal. You know, and, and we probably ought to do that sometime. That's a good thing. We're Baptists, you know. That just entrenches us in that, okay. And we know that it's biblical, okay, right. But what was happening here is I get, and, you know, I, I looked at the research. I could look at it a little bit more. You know, they, the, the leaders were taking care of themselves and not taking care of the people. And here's my thing. I'm going to give my tell. When we have a fellowship meal, you know, I'm going to look spiritual and let you go first and get all the food while I go to the dessert table. It's not bad. I can eat my desserts first. I can eat my desserts anytime, you know. Um, that's the way it is. So at least I look spiritual. I gave my tell now. Okay, yeah, go ahead and get in the line. I'm not waiting there. I'm getting that pie. Okay, but a lot of you guys like that stuff too. So anyway, but they it, it was more than more eating and not taking care of people because you can go to Acts chapter 6 and see that the widows need to be taken care of, and this is with the institution of the deacons and the difference between deacons and elders spiritually taking care of people and physically taking care of people. But I think the concept in these leaders is it was all about themselves. I, I need to take care of myself. I don't need to serve you. And so in the most spiritual thing, they were being selfish. And so they were like hidden reefs. A lot of us, I know, they got a lot of sailors here, a lot of people that go out in their boats and stuff. Not, we're a little bit landlocked here, okay? Some of you may have been in the Navy, have different kind of stuff. But, and I love to scuba dive, and, most, and the places I've scuba dived have had natural coral reefs that are, are beautiful. But I remember sometimes you'd have to go in a boat to get to where you were going to do those things, and that person in the boat was really watching how they went through those uh, those reefs because a lot of them, while they were way down and the visibility was good, some of them weren't, and that will tear up a boat. And we know from Paul when he was shipwrecked several times and, and, and almost died if it wasn't from God. A reef sticks up and they're hidden. Get it? This is why a lot of people, when they're fishing and different things like that, obviously we don't have rifts, but we may have stick-ups and things like that, that we don't see it, it tears up the boat, and it can kill you. This is what these leaders were like. I'm trying to look like I'm good, but it's really about myself. And it will destroy God's church. And so the hidden reefs... And so then, then they were destructive, they were deceptive, and they were slow to show their real colors. Well, you know, you might scratch them. I think you'd know if you hit a reef, okay? But also these leaders would come in and just kind of entrench themselves. And again, it wasn't a historical thing that just happened and no longer a problem in our church. I think this problem is huge in the American church. And so we need to watch out for it. They... Uh, so therefore, we need we need to keep watch. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, "I come to give you life and keep it abundantly." So we need to watch out for those hidden reefs. We not we need to listen to what people say and the language they say. And it's not how they say it, but you know when 
there, there's a lot of people that can say things that sound right, but sometimes you need to push a little bit deeper and say, well, what do you mean by that? Or where does God's word fit into that? And so this is what they were doing. So we see here that the first, they were the destructive ones. Now let's look at the, the, the disappointed. Um, they, uh, the next part in verse 12 says this, uh, with uh, waterless clouds swept, swept along by the winds. I kind of feel like that's where we've been this summer with rain. And I guess Rogersville is cursed and Stratford is blessed. But every time you guys had rain, we didn't have as much, you know. And, and, and so, hey, you see a cloud and maybe hopefully there's going to be some rain. And then when we're out in Wyoming, you could see it rain a long ways, but it didn't mean it was coming your way. And then sometimes you would mess up and it is coming your way. But, you know, we're talking about where it looks like it could rain but it doesn't produce anything. And that's what he's talking about, these leaders. And Proverbs twenty-five, fourteen, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. That's Proverbs twenty-five, fourteen. I like that. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. So they would say all this stuff, but there was nothing there. And I go back to... Uh, James, that says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We're saved by grace, guys, but our actions need to batch up to our words, or we need to be quiet. I'm talking about myself, too. They look refreshing, they look fulfilling, but they're empty. They uh, promise freedom, but they leave emptiness. They promise life, but they leave emptiness. They're empty calories spiritually. The things you've enjoyed eating, and, well, I've got to eat more because I'm not getting anything, you know? And so we have to understand that they leave disappointed. So we have the destructive, we have the disappointed, and we have the destitute. You go on, the next example, he talks about fruitless tree in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Um, they're unfruitful. They look good. They should be producing fruit. Uh, we have a peach tree on the edge of our yard that, Came up volunteering. It's got, I didn't check since I've been back, but it had peaches, and it's not like they're about like this big, okay? I don't think we're going to get any fruit out of them, but it's kind of interesting and exciting to see something grow, volunteer, and to see what might happen. But there's a lot of times you ever, I know we could have conversations about apples, okay? I'm not against red apples, but most time you can look at a good red apple and you bite into it, and there's no taste to it, and it's waterless. Not talking about the other ones that look red and are good, you know, but that's what he's talking about here. You're not even, it looks good, but it's not producing anything that gives you substance. There are a lot of, it's not about me, but there's a lot, uh, yeah, I know I'm dressed up today. Hey, pastor can dress up. Great. Okay. Uh, excited. I don't, I'm being punished, but not being punished, but it seems like the next week and a half after wear this wear a suit three times and it's not punished, but anyway, but, but there's a lot of times people can look really good. Their hair can be better. I mean, we should be upkept. I get this. But they can speak right. They can look right. They can have all the right things. But what's in their heart? They can say the right things to the right people. Have the right look. None of these things are bad in themselves. But what's in their heart? And that's what he's saying here. These are the destitute. They're unfruitful. They talk a good game, but are they producing anything for the kingdom? Matthew 5.13 says this, 
He answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. There are a lot of plants that look good that don't produce anything. So, hey, let's keep them. You know, I will say it's kind of neat looking at sweet potato plants and cabbage plants that are decorative, but if it got down to needing food, we'd take away the decorative and we need to get some sweet potatoes and we need to actually have some cabbage. Okay, you see what I'm saying? But that's what he's saying. They, they look good, but they produce nothing. They're destitute. No fruit, no character, no Jesus. We have the destructive, we have the disappointed, we have the destitute, we have the defiled. Look at the Jude, uh, chapter, uh, Jude 1, excuse me, verse 13. There's only one chapter anyway. anyway. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So the wi- wild waves of the sea, raging waves, producing foam. Isaiah 57, 20 says this, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. Think about it. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is a solid rock. His word is a solid rock. But if we are culturally being Christians, we're going to be like a man on the waves of the sea that James talks about that doesn't have faith. Oh, where do I need to believe now? Who do I need to kiss up to now? What do I need to not talk about now? And we're like this. And all we're doing is stirring up dirt. That's what he's talking about, these leaders here and people that follow whatever's trendy culturally. Theologically, theology is not trendy if you go to God's Word. Notice shifting sands, sink, destruction, solid rock, stand, Jesus Christ. And so they're just churning up stuff and they're just bringing dirt up. And again, like Isaiah said, you know, the waves, they produce foam, they produce filth, and there's nothing there. Then the next example that he says is the wandering stars or the disappointing or disappearing stars. You know, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And we've seen that a lot. And there's been a lot of men in ministry that it wasn't the fact that they were preaching the wrong thing and there but the grace of God every day, prayers and accountability. You know, I could be out of it. But we are talking about the fact of these are false teachers. And the fact that they're producing a false thing and they come on strong and everybody gathers around them and they're here today and gone tomorrow. And what happens when a star leaves? It leaves darkness. So once you think about these leaders, it doesn't have to just be the preachers, it could be the teachers, it could be those that people follow in the church. And when I say the church, it doesn't have to be just the physical building and the gathering of people, but the church, God's people in general. And so they come out, they, they come out with a, a, a bright appearance and everybody's drawn to the light. Don't go to light, you know. And then suddenly they're out and they burn out. Well, I was strong for God. But when the struggles hit, hmm, not so much. And notice what it, they leave, gloom and utter, utter darkness. And to their own shame, it says, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been received forever. You know, that, that, that it's been kept for them. They burn out, they leave a dark place, and then they are condemned to darkness. Very sad thing. Short-lived, they don't endure, and they leave blackness. This, these examples uh, show us a lot that if, that if we're going to lead people to the love of God, your next fill-in, we need to only live in the truth. John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes 
to the Father except through me. Uh, Paul said, I've decided to know nothing but Christ crucified and his death on the cross. We need to keep it simple. What does God's word say? What does Jesus say? That's where I go. It will relieve you from a lot. But let's look at their condemnation in verse 14. It was about these things that it was about these things that Enoch the seventh of Adam prophesied, saying, "Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones." And so Enoch, we know that he was the seventh in the line of Adam. But obviously, the book of Enoch, you say, "Well, we don't find that in the Bible." But we see, and we, this is where you get into Wednesday nights, and we talk more about this. We see that that a lot of other literature was used in the Bible or cited because they understood it. But it doesn't mean it's biblical. They're using it as an example. But obviously the Jews knew about the book of Enoch, and Enoch was a real person. He walked with God and was not. He was one of the two that didn't die but went on with God. And, but we see here that he prophesied, and he was talking about the prediction of those that were against Christ would be condemned. And so he predicted, he prophesied about, the, about these false and deceiving te- teachers. And his prophecy was, they will be condemned. And he was talking about the, when he says the, the, the ten thousands of his holy ones, he was talking about at least one time or another the angels had free will. And we know that Satan was one of the chief angels and that he chose, he thought in rebellion, which we talked about with the leaders, when we think we're God, that is rebellion. And so Satan was cast down and so were thousands of his angels. And this is what it's talking about here. And so again, if God's going to do that to angels, what happens to us? The next time Christ comes, the angels will be his agents of judgment, not the ones that he's already judged, but they will come to be his agents of judgment. This condemnation, this condemnation is right. Uh, we don't want God to be fair. We want him to be just because fair is like I'm going to judge off what I see. But God knows everything. And we can't judge a book by its cover, but so many times we're judging by what we see. And we need to be aware, but God knows. And so we need to understand when He is ready to condemn, it's because we've made a decision not to accept His grace. And it's too late. Look at 15. He's coming to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So obviously ungodly is a big thing going against God. And so he's, he, he's talking about these examples. He's talking about if God punished the angels, he's going to be punishing us. No one is exempt from this. He's going to come back and, 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 and judge our ungodliness. He's going to execute judgment, damnation, and convict us of our deeds and works. Now, I want us to understand, we're saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians says that. If you receive Christ and his ransom for your life, you're fine. We talk about there's two judgments. One we'll all face on. What did you do with this time that you had here? Was it, Hebrew, was it 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter? Did you do things in purity for God? And you're going to place what you've done here on the altar, and the holy fire is going to hit it. And everything that was pleasing in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that was pure to God will go up as a fragrant aroma, but everything that was selfish and in that rebellion will burn up like wood, hay, and smoke. That's the first judgment. But the second judgment is those that are not listening today, those that are not, have, have heard the word, and they realize that Christ is willing and has saved them, and they need to accept it, but they have said no. Your choice. But this is the judgment they will face. And so 
he comes, the next time he comes, he comes to judge their ungodliness. He done their destitute ways. And those he talks about, he keeps saying ungodly here several times. These are the sinners that are devoted to sin. And I want us to understand that. Well, I'm not devoted to sin. I just haven't accepted Christ. Satan, you don't have to be cutting the heads off of chickens and sacrificing stuff in the middle of a public square. Anything that goes against God where you say, I'm God and he is not, you're condemned. Satan would love to soft sell this whole thing and you just ease on into hell. Your choice. Devoted to sin means this. I want whatever I want more than I want God. And you'll be condemned and you'll be judged and you will face hell, which is death and torment forever. Pastor, you're hor- horrible. People don't talk about it. Well, Jesus does. Go read his parables. Everything's a choice. At the end, you can, but, and how can a loving God? Loving God gave his son. I say it all the time. I would give none of my sons and my grandchildren for any of you, and I love you all. God has done his part, but if you choose not to his love and his sacrifice, which we're going to commemorate here, you face the judgment that you chose that was really just for the angels. Why do I say that so harshly? Because you don't have to. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and you need to do it today before it's too late. All all they do is ungodly. These people in their walk, their talk, their, 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 their actions, their words, they may look proper and right, but it's condemned. And this is what's happening in our society today. We're calling evil good and we're calling good evil. And just because I speak the truth to you, then I'm a horrible person. Well, guess what? I answer if I don't speak that truth to God. And we all answer to God. Your next feeling, if we're going to lead with the love of Christ, we need to value salvation now. We'll have a time of invitation here in a little bit. You can come up publicly or you can talk to me afterwards or talk to someone that you know as a believer. But when, when should you get saved? When God convicts you and you realize that you need him. Because I can't tell what's going to happen next in your life or my life. And so we need to value salvation now. We need to get saved. And we need to encourage people to get saved. We need to have that urgency. And this is why I tell Christians, I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to feel burdened. We have the Great Commission. Ask the question, why am I still here? Am I still here to deal with death, dying, and sickness, to deal with finances, to deal with all this stuff? The only reason we're still here is to deliver the message of hope that people can be saved. Because heaven's going to be a lot better place than this. So you need to value, get saved now, and then Christians, we need to have that urgency, building relationships, being aware if someone is lost, speaking the words, inviting them to Christ. We need to we need to do all this with love because, and we need to do it in our deeds. Look at verse 16. This is their deeds. They are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. They're shameless. They, they speak harshly about God. They're critical, negative, judgmental, joyless. Now, a lot of people would say what I've been preaching to you today is that, well, that's joyless, he's harsh, he's critical. I want you to pick up urgency. There's no hate here. I want you to pick up the fact that I feel burdened that I'm, that I'm seeing people just walk into darkness. 
That's what we should be. But these leaders, he's talking about they're shameless. They're critical on the things of God. They're negative against God's Word, what it really says. They're judgmental and change what God's Word says. And therefore, their joy is not coming from being saved and forgiven and right with God. Joyless. They're shameless. They're grumblers. They're complainers. They're malcontents. They're discontent. It's always the next thing. Deuteronomy ten seventeen says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Notice the next thing. They are, he, go, he goes back here showing favoritism to gain advantage. And so they're sensual. We've seen this all the way through Jude that they're living for their lust. They're following their desires. They're loudmouthed. Well, I might as well say it because I thought it. You can say maybe I, that's me too, but I, I believe it or not, I try to think about the things I'm going to say. And yes, most of them, if they're kind of, what's that about? I probably do it on purpose for you to think about it. But yeah, I say a lot of stuff I don't think about too. But they're talking in this loud voice over God's truth. Do you understand that? I know God's word says this, but let's do this. They ride over that. And then they're, they're, they're big talkers, they're boasters. And then it goes back to what I read in Deuteronomy. They show favoritism in order to get advantage. This is so easy to do in church if I needed to do that. Um, it's so easy that, I mean, it's not about being dumb, but I, I try to go to James. I don't care if you have stuff. I don't care if you don't have stuff. I just want to love people. That's where I'm coming from. But in the American church or any church, obviously he was dealing with here, these leaders figured out who could, who could help them get better in life, financially, physically, positionally, whatever, showing favoritism. I'm going to tell you right now, we all may have different things that we like to do. You know, our men's group, we're, I would say we're kind of eclectic. We're a bunch of mixed nuts or something. Okay, I don't know. But, but you know what? What's amazing to me is we all can have different things that we're into, but what brings us together? Christ. The love of Christ. What causes us to fellowship together the love of Christ? But these leaders, what they were doing, this person could, could benefit me. Or let's go back into church. There's some people that are easier to deal with than others. I know it's hard for you to believe that, but it, it can happen in church that there's some people that are easier to deal with than others. And so that could lead towards, I like spending time with this person, this person I'm trying to run from. Pastor, you're horrible. I didn't say I'm doing it. But what the, what the deal is here is this is favoritism. Can this person benefit me? Is this person like me, has the same desires and stuff? Um, So therefore, they're ahead of the list. This is sin. This is wrong. I would be willing to do about anything with anyone because I believe church is family. I believe we do life together. I don't believe it's more than just this service on a Wednesday night. And so I know a lot of times pastors get a a bad rap because you're spending time with this person. Okay, if I am, why don't you come along or tell me what you're doing? And I'll either say, I'm not into that. I'm not into into shaving cats or maybe it would be kind of fun. Okay, I wouldn't want to hold the cat. I'd let you hold the cat while I shaved it. Okay, whatever. But, But you know what I'm saying? I don't need to play favoritism. But they knew where their bread was buttered. They knew where they would benefit. And they were basically kissing up. Pastor, that doesn't happen in the American church. Really? It would be so easy to figure out 
who I need to kiss up to. Okay? And I think everybody here is good. Okay? But you see what I'm saying? That's what they were doing. Your next fill-in. If we're going to lead in the love of Christ, we must endeavor to be godly. Four or five times in that verse, he's saying they're ungodly. They, they boast. They, they want favoritism. Uh, they grumble. <coughs> they're malcontents. I, and, and again, Wednesday night, we'll, we'll unpackage this a little bit more, but we need to be the obvi- opposite. We need to endeavor to be like Jesus, to have the mind of Christ. And endeavor means we've got to try at it. The Lord's Supper is a time for us to see that. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, okay. In our Baptist tradition, this is just symbolic. And this is one of our ordinances. This represents his body and blood. That's not physically his blood. It's not physically his body. It doesn't turn to that during this time of this. But it's, this is symbolic. And I would rather you, and if people look at you, they can come to me. But there have been times I haven't taken the Lord's Supper because my heart wasn't right. I would rather you do that. And I'm not saying you can't get your heart right during the invitation and have God look at you. And that's why we try to tell you when we're having the Lord's Supper. We may not have done as good this time blame it on me but to prepare our hearts but these leaders were doing it unworthily showing that they were ungodly and so that's why I'm, I think it's awesome that we have this time and that these really work together the sermon today is take a time and look at yourself and first of all when we have a time of invitation here in a little bit ask do I know Christ and if you don't come forward get saved if you want to use this time to pray, you know Christ, but hey, I need to lay some stuff down or, or pray where you're at, get your heart right. If, 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 if you need to deal with somebody or do something, don't take the Lord's Supper. And if you judge somebody for not doing that, say, boy, they got major sin in their life, maybe you need to get the beam out of your own eye. You need to lead others to the love of Christ. You've got to get there first. And so when we have a time of invitation here in a few minutes, I encourage you to ask God, am I leading? Am, first of all, am I leading your love by accepting your love? Am I leading your love or am I leading people away from Christ? Here's some questions, and we, we don't have them up here today, but here's some questions. Um, what are you learning? Learn from other people's bad decisions and don't make them. First verse dealt with all their bad decisions, Cain and, and Balaam and Korah. Glad that's not me. I'm going to lead others to love. What are you learning? Learn to make godly decisions. What are, you, what are you living in? I've got to live in culture. I've got to live in whatever's acceptable right now. Really? Okay, let's just get real. Let's just stop the train, stand on God's word, and saying this is where I stand. Like Martin Luther said, I cannot, I will not recant, here I stand. Stand on his word. What are you living in? Live in the truth. What are you valuing? Value your salvation. Don't, it's not by cheap grace. Get saved today if you don't know Christ, but value the salvation that judgment is coming and people need to know Christ. And then the, the last one, what are you endeavoring to do? Oh, it's okay. I've got God's grace. I don't have to be godly today. Didn't say perfect. Didn't say you were saved by it. Are you looking more like Jesus than yesterday? 
because every day I'm a man in need of the Savior, and depending on what's happening on that day, I can be pretty ungodly. We need to endeavor to do that. These are the parts of, uh, of, of the invitation that I want you to look at today. As we stand to our feet, are you leading others to the love of Christ? Are you leading them away from Christ? I wouldn't want to be responsible to say I led somebody away from Christ. Lord, Holy Spirit, as we have this time to prepare for the Lord's Supper and a time of invitation, I pray however we need to be obedient to you, led to our own salvation, led back to the truth and to living the truth, whatever we need to do, may we lead others and go to the love of Christ. In your name, Jesus, amen.